It's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode 508 for November the 1st, 2017, and I'm your host, Bart Bouchotts. This week, our special guest is someone you may have vaguely heard of called Alison Sheridan. Uh, Alison, I'm very confused. I seem to be on the wrong side of the microphone. Well, as long as you're on the right side of the pond, uh, maybe we can pull this off. <laughs> I was going to say, it's dark here, so I don't think I've been teleported to Los Angeles. <laughs> So I guess from we didn't decide which one of us was going to explain this. Well, okay, so you you invited me to interview you because you want to tell a story and you'd like me to be your Allison. <laughs> yeah, essentially. So I, I've been trying to think of a clever name for this and all I can come up with is my woman's story. And it's I'm I kind of want to talk to somebody and actually I'm squirming in my chair. I'm so uncomfortable about doing this and I'm so anxious. Um, but just with all the stories that people are coming out with, the women in particular are coming out with about what's happened to them in their careers and their lives, I sort of want to tell mine too. But I'm nervous and anxious about it. Well, if it helps, Annie, I'm very interested to hear because. It's literally for the last couple of years, I've been trying to figure out, I've been trying to understand why it is, you know, in the second decade of the 21st century, when the very concept of legally, even legally sanctioned discrimination is a complete anathema, let alone legally enforced. I mean, when my when my mother-in-law was, was beginning her career, it was the law that you must leave your job if you if you got married or if you had a child. <laughs> And we've gone from legally enforced discrimination to legally prohibited discrimination in theory. And yet, when you average up people's salaries, there is an asymmetry. When I go into a meeting of, of techies, I do not look around the room and see an even spread of, of genders or of, of anything else, really. So what is going on? There should be equality. Where is it? I think one thing that's happening with women coming out and telling these stories is maybe we have to paint this picture with a lot of data points before we can see what's going on. Because what happens to one woman is not what happens to another woman at all. And that's going to be part of the point of what I say and I'm going to be telling you about, too, is that things happen to me that looking back, I'm like, oh, God, why did I put up with that? Why did I let that happen? You know, what, you, of course, I'm a woman, I blame myself. Apparently, that's our thing. Um, but I, I just sort of think we need to hear a lot of voices before we can start to hear the pattern. And maybe when when people are in a situation and they hear this kind of thing happening again, and now it's like, oh, I remember that story I read about or that story I heard maybe we can start to put these pieces together. But like like you said, I really hoped and thought we were past this. And the stuff I'm hearing about um, ever since, uh, what was the last name? Fowler wrote about Uber. I mean, well, yeah. that was just a company that was really corrupt. Well, yes. <laughs> but, yeah, but and, they were not, yeah, they were not alone. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's, I presume it's, well, okay, so the fact that there's been so much silence means that everyone has had the ability to just assume that they were the exception, right? When no yeah. one talks about it, everyone gets to assume that they're the exception. And now that everyone, not everyone, now that many people are choosing to speak up because, I don't know, some sort of dam has burst, some sort of some sort of threshold has been passed. So something has happened to the point where it's gone from this is something everyone is silent about because it's... I guess it's too damaging to your career to be the the first one to speak up or something. But now that people do feel free to speak up, all of a sudden everyone is going, I wasn't the exception. Yeah. Uh oh. Yeah, yeah, maybe I, I think that's you've you've hit it there. Um I do want to say that I don't have a salacious tale to tell here. I'm not gonna be Thank naming goodness. names of vicious sexual attacks. Um well maybe one. But uh, it's it's not going to be that kind of story. In fact, when you and I were brainstorming whether this would work, I, I told you it's more of a thousand paper cuts kind of story. Right, but th that that has a huge effect. You know, I mean, the the, the really really obvious stuff has been, you know, it, is clearly illegal. So what what's the paper cuts must be responsible for so much. 
Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I liken this to um, when I was a child, my brother Kelly was my hero. And till the day he died, he was still my hero. But my brother Kelly always told me I was fat. And I've looked back at the photos of me at the ages he was telling me that, and I was mm-hmm. not. And yet I look in the mirror and I see a fat girl. You know, I, I'm just barely starting to be able to say not fat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so it's those those little things, those little paper cuts. I think that that maybe can be um, hold you down. I don't know. Yeah. So one of the things I wanted to do was maybe start with with who I am and my background a little bit and and then kind of maybe walk into uh, Yeah, cuz we know you the as, as as the voice the voice who tells us all the fun tech stuff. And over the years you've shared quite a few pieces about, you know, the rest of your life on the show, but never never in an organized way, right? We you know, I guess someone who's who's paying attention very carefully could have pieced it together, but actually it would be nice to to hear it in context instead of maybe somewhat you know, linearly as a by the by. <laughs> yeah, because by the by, we we've learned a lot, but not 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 as not as a story, not as a as a as a narrative. Yeah, yeah. So to start out, let's just lay this out there. I'm a uh, mechanical engineer. I got a master's degree from UCLA in kinematics, and um, I probably never get into UCLA these days. It's a lot harder, but see, there I am self-deprecating a master's in mechanical engineering. That's that's reasonably impressive, I would say. And I, worked, I would say so, too. I love the word kinematics. It was one of my favorite subjects in, in physics. Well, there's actually a funny story behind that. When I got my master's degree, after I finished my presentation to the, to the council of, of professors, they said, OK, what do you want your master's in? And I said, ah. I said, what, what do you mean? What do I want it in? It isn't defined by the classes I took. And they said, no, no, you get to pick. And the structures huh. guy says, oh, you should get it in structures. And I said, nah. and, and then the, the thermo guy, yeah, oh, you should get it. Ther-. You know, all of them were yelling out their own specialty as the coolest. And my advisor was in kinematics and I did really like kinematics. So I said, how about kinematics? <laughs> Plus it sounds cool. No, it is. It's definitely one of the cooler words, right? You know, ooh, you're a real sciencey person here in, in mechanical engineering, kinematics. Exactly, exactly. So I worked for 35 years in a 60,000-person military electronics company. And I mean, I don't mind saying the name of the company is Raytheon, but it it changed names throughout the years. So it it's actually kind of weird to try to say the name of the company. So we'll just say the company in general. Um, That's something actually that I have great trouble imagining working for an organization of that size, because from my point of view, working for a university with, uh, what are we now, 12,000 full time equivalent students, to me that that feels like a large organization, but there's only a few hundred of us staff. Yeah. And to imagine 60,000, that's two orders of magnitude more. I have real trouble imagining that kind of an organization. That's like a country. That's like the civil service of a country. <laughs> to give you a perspective, uh, I rose up to the point where I had a uh, staff of 170 people and I was considered a low to middle level manager. <laughs> and so, I mean, our part of the company just in El Segundo in California was um, 6,000 people, I think. So yeah, I was I was a tiny fish in comparison, and yet I would go. I, I remember going to conferences and having people say, "Oh well, I'm the president of blah blah blah," and it's like you have eleven employees. You know? <laughs> <laughs> aren't you Aren't you precious? <laughs> yeah, our, our director of IT has like thirty people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So a, a company of that size, I guess, management must have a huge impact. On 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 the the atmosphere of the place, on the ethos of the place, or, or does it vary wildly from location to location? I mean, it it does vary well wildly, and I th- I think it's like saying these are different companies. You know, they can have the same policies, they can have uh, you know structurally the same financials and human resources, but uh, I found huge cultural differences within the company. Um, and that was before we merged across the country with a bunch of other companies. This was just in El Segundo. But but yeah. I, I sort of want to give a little bit of an angle of my, my early years of what formed yeah. me. Um, I had three brothers, and uh, I grew up in the shop with my dad. I was always building things in the shop with him, right. working on cars. For, for Europeans, I need to interject here for Europeans. Uh, for Europeans, there's a silent work, because we would think of a shop as a place of retail. 
Whereas oh. you mean a workshop. Yeah, yeah. So I mean wood shop in general. Oh, we wood were, in particular. Okay. Yeah, more often wood. When it was fun, it was wood. I mean, I, I, you know, I was in the hospital as a little girl at one point. My father brought me a screwdriver and it was cool. I mean, that really made me happy. Uh, I grew up with tools. I grew up, you know, sawing things, building things, you know, breaking things. I was you not mean using actual routers. Yes, actual routers. My dad had an amazing shop with, uh, uh, he had three routers. He had uh, two lathes. He had a, a planer, a wow. jointer. I mean, this was, yeah, he was, he was crazy good at this stuff. Uh, my mother always had this vision that I was in the kitchen baking cookies with her. And I'm like, Mom, I do not believe in my entire life I baked a cookie with you. Oh, no. uh, but it was cute of her. But uh, uh, so I, I, I grew up with men. I was very comfortable with men. And so when I went into engineering, pfft, I was in my element. I mean, the idea of looking around and, and seeing women was kind of like, well, what are they doing here? I mean, it, it just, huh. I, I never expected to see women around me. I was always very comfortable working with men. So, so the question you were asking in those days wasn't where are all the other women? It's just, oh, there even is another. Huh. Yeah. Huh. But I, I, I said that, that I didn't have uh, any salacious tales to tell. And there's one incident, and uh, it'll be interesting to hear what uh, Dr. Gary says about my memory on this. When I was about 12 years old, the movie, uh, and I think that's the year, the movie The Ten Commandments came out. And I went to the movie with a boy. And on our way home, uh, we lived in rural uh, Indiana at the time, and it was very woodsy. And on the way home, walking back, I was attacked by a group of boys. And they threw me to the ground, and I know I got away, and I don't remember anything in between. So that's the adrenaline rush just completely killed your memory? Your fight or flight must have... This is me pretending to be a scientist. Um, (laughs) Or... He he fought them off. I don't think so. Uh, I was trying to remember the name of the character in that that set, uh, the books, and then later the movie of the the woman with the shooting the arrows in the the twelve different cities, and they're all fighting against. Um, it, she's got two boyfriends, and there's one pasty faced boy who bakes bread. Boy, am I bad at movies? Oh, this is so not ringing any bells for you, me. You do know the movie. Uh, uh, there's people yelling at their at their iPhones right now or at their phones right now. But anyway, he was just, you know, a putsy little boy who I, I don't expect that he did anything. But I also don't remember beating them off myself. I don't remember running. I just remember that I was away. And that's all I remember. So that's as close to a salacious tale as I have. And I consider myself quite lucky that that's the only thing that ever happened to me that was an overt attack. Yeah. So, but the, the, the thousand paper cuts, I thought I could tell maybe a series of little incidents. Well, yeah. So, okay. So let, let's paint a picture, right? So young Allison has grown up in the wood shop and is very, very happy around practical things. And young Allison has matured into older Allison and gone off to university to get a master's in kinematics. And then do you go straight to the company that would, after many name changes, become Raytheon? <laughs> or is there, is there another step in between? Well, um, I had a couple of just one big story when I was uh, going to when I was in. Well, it's funny. Bart and I talk a lot about language. Um, I was going to say when I was in school, but to Bart, school <laughs> means elementary and middle school, right? Yes, the school is for children. So I said, you know, okay, I don't go to university. I wrote down college, but yeah, that'll do. Well, no, well, I don't know, because college to you is lower than university, right? Yes. So this is be, university. It would be frowned upon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone like UCLA, which it's is university. a prestigious institution, there would be a massive B in every professor's bonnet over here if you were to call them a college. So we sort of fling the words around. We, yeah. we fling them around interchangeably. So this is actually at UC Irvine in my undergraduate. And probably the weirdest incident that happened to me was uh, we had a teaching assistant. Steve and I and our friend Drew took this uh, physics lab together. We took all our classes together. Uh, we called this guy the astronaut, and I don't remember why. He was a very odd guy. He was stoned a lot. Um, 
one of the spaceman i think it, i think the stoner um, maybe maybe the reason that's probably it that's probably it there was one really funny incident where steve and i were working on a uh, traveling wave tube with a with an oscilloscope and we're very carefully adjusting the oscilloscope looking at the waveforms and all of a sudden it would get all screwy looking and we'd readjust everything readjust everything just about get it right and then it'd get all screwy looking again and and the astronaut was taking a uh, yardstick with a metal tip on the end of it and sticking it in the end of the twt so he was purposely just messing with our experiment. Well, that was nice of him. <laughs> it was actually kind of funny at the time, and I'm pretty sure he was stoned at the time. But anyway. Right, okay. <laughs> Drew didn't start the lab until uh, three weeks in. So our quarters were right. 10, 10 weeks long. So he missed 20% of the class. And uh, he, w- he talked to the TA, to the astronaut, and uh, the guy told him, well, just copy Allison's first two labs into his notebook, just so he'd have a complete notebook. It's like, okay, whatever. I got a perfect score on all 10 of my labs, right? And hmm. a week before grades were due, he the astronaut asked me on a date, and I declined. That's all I thought of it. But I we got our grades back, and Drew got an A in the class, and I got a B. How, right, that this, there's so much wrong with that story. Like... What kind of a place allows staff to proposition students? I mean, like, yeah, that, I'm pretty sure that would be a fireable offense. Yeah, that doesn't seem like a good idea. But the the thing, if you've gotten to know me at all, you can tell I'm I'm no wilting lily, right? I didn't go back and sob into my pillow and, and faint. I went to the dean of engineering and I said, you know, this is BS. I told him what, it was, what happened. And he said, yeah, teaching assistants can do whatever they want. I'm not changing your grade. Well, see, that's also BS because no, they can't. They're assistants. <laughs> yeah. He just said, no, not going to do anything about it. And I got to be in that class. And it just, that's just a little tiny flavor, right? The, the injustice of it makes me angry now. <laughs> and and just, it obviously didn't ruin your career or anything, but like, ah, Abusing a position of power to pressure someone into a date, taking a rejection and then punishing the person for it. Like, there's so much wrong with it's that. It's classic, right? It's like right. you wrote the steps down of how to do it wrong. So you asked about whether there was a, a distinct jump. Um, I applied for and got a uh, – actually, I started a job between my um, sophomore and junior years. So between year two and three at university and uh, and got a job at what later becomes Raytheon. And uh, the time is called Hughes Aircraft. And um, as in Howard, yes, as in Howard Hughes, it was his his company. Well, there's an interesting person. I must touch you with that sometime. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. There's a few anecdotes. Uh, I never met him or anything, but uh, so I uh, worked for a summer for them up in uh, uh, El Segundo. But I was going to school down in Irvine, and before I I left, I was going to quit after the summer. My boss said, "Well, you know, I can get you a job in." Hughes down in Irvine near school. And if you work 20 hours a week, Hughes will pay for your education. Well, that sounds good. I make money and they cover that, right? So uh, I did that. And so I worked uh, from the summer before my third year all the way through till I graduated. So two full years. And um, after Steve found out what I was getting out of this deal. He applied and got a job. I always say he, I got him in, but he started about six mm-hmm. months later than me. So he worked for a year and a half for Hughes. I worked for two years for Hughes. Uh, we worked, we both got uh, degrees in engineering from the same university. His was an electrical, mine was a mechanical. So that could have been an explanation, but his starting salary was higher than mine. And we were hired into the same, this gets a little bit complicated, but we went straight from the scholarship program, which is the undergraduate degree, to the fellowship program, which is where they pay for your master's degree. So we were, and we went into what was called the rotation program. So we were hired into the rotation program by the same boss. And his salary was higher than mine. Yeah, just different rules applied. Right. But not, I'm assuming... I'm assuming there was no policy in HR that said that that was how it should be. That was just the quote unquote discretion, which just happened to fall that way. Yeah. I mean, officially, I mean, you could look at a lot of factors and try to find differences. And and today, electrical engineer starting salaries are higher than mechanical engineering salaries. But I don't know that that was true back then. So 
while I was getting my master's degree, I continued to work and it was, it was a really cool deal. You could work up to 36 hours a week while you were getting your degree and they paid you a stipend for the amount of money you weren't making. So if I worked 36 hours a week, I got full salary while getting my master's degree. So that's the way I did it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was a lot of work to work 36 hours a week and get a master's degree. It was two years, not one year. So yeah, I I, I failed spectacularly in trying to pull off a similar feat. Like (laughs) I am not Dr. Bouchot's because I thought, oh, I'll take a full time job and I'll continue my PhD. (laughs) No, 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 no. That is not how it works. So credit to you. Well, I, I was it was it was interesting watching. I got the best grades the more I worked. I one one quarter in undergraduate, I took three courses instead of four, so twelve units. I don't know if that means anything to you. Twelve hours they call them sometimes. Yeah, well, we yeah. I mean, we that's low we're end. Switching to a modular system where you have credits. We're always talking about credits. How many credits is this module? Okay. Well, I worked. I, I took three classes, which is not a lot, and I got two Bs and a C plus. And then I worked 20 hours a week and took four upper division uh, uh, courses and I got straight A's. So I figured huh. out that the more I worked, the less I screwed around. <laughs> so Interesting. Yeah. And was the work particularly related to the studies that it kept you in the same frame of mind or something? Or well, is it just that's actually you just weren't doing other stuff? No, actually, that's funny. I got the first quarter I, I uh, took. Uh, advanced structures in my master's degree and took a rotation through the structural analysis group. And there was no overlap whatsoever in the two things that I could find. One was all theory. One was all get the job done. Here's what you punch into this program to make it go. And the two were never pulled together for me. I didn't go in. I didn't stick around in structures as a result. Fair enough. So, but the reason I brought up the getting the master's, so I'm working 36 hours a week, uninterrupted. I have never left the company and my male peers would take a nine month leave of absence and go off. There was another kind of fellowship where they paid you uh, a stipend while you were getting your degree and you didn't work. They would leave for nine months, come back after being paid to not be working and they would come back and they always got higher raises than me. And it kept... So, so again, I'm sure there's nothing on paper saying that women should get lower, but yet somehow... Yeah. And, you know, every every single story I have, I have an excuse for why it was OK. And and it's it's not until I pile these all together that I start seeing the pattern like, well, I was getting my master's at UCLA. They were going to Cal to, uh, to uh, MIT and Cornell. So Ivy League versus not Ivy League, but but they weren't doing any work in between. They were doing nothing to to provide value. I actually got a big kick out of it. Every every single person that they put on that full time fellowship quit the company after they got their degrees. I was kind of like, ha ha! <laughs> wow. So they basically got a free ride off the company. Yeah, they later on made it where you had to pay the degree back, but after two years you could leave anyway, and they all did. I mean, they discontinued that program because they all left. So, yeah. So you did the work, you put the time in, you come back, and somehow you end up with a lower promotion or the lower pay rise compared to the others. Yeah. Doesn't smell right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So when I moved, or after I got my degree and I I came back up to El Segundo to Hughes, I was working in a mechanical engineering organization. It was um, an electro-optical uh, organization where we we designed steering mirrors and gimbals for um, telescopes and and other kinds of sensors, and um, there's this is where the the little stories start to stack up. There there was a period in time where I weighed very little. I was extremely slender, and I had this fabulous suit. Uh, this is back in the we were you know s- skirted suits and high heeled shoes and pantyhose nonsense. And uh, I had this fabulous maroon suit. I remember this. It was just, it fit perfectly. It had this kind of short jacket, but um, a a long skirt that went um, maybe an inch or two below my knees. But then it had a slit up the side that went maybe two inches above my knee at the most. So when I walked, I looked fantastic. And, uh, you know, while I still look in the mirror and see a little fat girl, I do have really nice legs. I really am proud of my legs. So I look great in this suit. And one day I was walking along and um, 
my manager, Harry, who was two levels above me, walked up beside me and said, geez, Allison, why don't you just come to work naked? What? Yeah. But he was just kidding, Bart. He was just goofing around. Right? <sighs> yeah, I'm sure that that's always the excuse, right? Oh, it's only a joke. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So this, right, this, this reminds me, it's different. And yet some of the, some of the motor, some of the modus operandi is awfully similar to sort of how homophobia, soft homophobia gets manifest in places. Well, it was mm. only joking. I mean, why are you taking offense for it? It was just, just, just a bit of crack, just a bit of banter. But it's not just a bit of banter. It's a way of projecting power, of putting people down, of making people feel inferior and of making yourself feel superior. It's, it's, it's not just a joke. It really affects people. Yeah. Now, realize at this point, I'm like 22 years old and this is the only job I've really ever known. You know, I don't know what it's supposed to look like in civilized society. So I don't know that this isn't just the way things are. Maybe they were. Maybe this was the 80s, maybe it was. But... I was going to say maybe maybe it was. Maybe maybe that was just completely the norm. I mean, the fact that it's wrong doesn't change the fact that it may have been excruciatingly common. Yeah. Another example, uh, Bill was my immediate boss. So between me and Harry, the guy that talked about my skirt, I'm walking down the hall one day, and he comes up beside me and puts his arm around my waist and squeezes me, and I'm like. Harry, what the hell are you doing? And he said, well, I just took a sexual harassment training class. And they said that the penalty for making a woman sleep with me to get a promotion or a raise was the same penalty as just doing little nasty things to him. And I figure I'm going to get caught for something eventually anyway, so I might as well go for it. <laughs> this is what he got out of his sexual harassment training class, right? I think he may have taken a class in how to do sexual harassment as opposed to he may have taken the wrong class. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, and That's you know, insane. it was just a joke, Bart. He was just kidding. No. <laughs> this, this same guy, do you remember the classic uh, Farrah Fawcett bathing suit poster or picture? I don't, but I'm imagining it's not dissimilar to the classic tennis player one with the take which is the one I remember from when I was a teenager. That was what all the boys had. Apart from me, I had no interest in that. <laughs> she's in a bathing suit and it's wet and she's flinging her hair back. It's a very sexy poster. And he had a, like a five foot version of that on his wall in his office. But the other guys, and I, I am not making this up, had naked pictures on the walls, like facing the doorway. I mean, open doors. Naked pictures on the wall. Thankfully, that wouldn't float in this day and age. I, I, but I, it does show you the different mentality, right? The, 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 and I even find that a, 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 an intimidating environment to work in because I, I have never been accepted by laddish lads. I have never been one of the guys ever. Um, and I would find that kind of laddish stuff to be quite intimidating yeah like, I, I would find that very off-putting in a work environment that's not it's, it's not appropriate like it, it's just it's <laughs> one of the guys fancied not, himself like... an, an artsy fartsy photographer and he took a picture every month for every month that he ma he made this into a calendar and uh, in in January, the woman was in an overcoat and a hat and a scarf. And then each month, clothes came off until in June, she was naked. And then July, she was facing away naked. And then she ended up more dressed again by December. And that was facing the wall. And, you know, he, it was just... Hey, credit to him for, for what he wants to do at home. <laughs> I mean, I have nothing against boudoir photography. I have nothing against any of these kind of things. Yeah. But the... That there are plenty of things that happen in my home that have no place in the office. <laughs> I um I worked for a guy named Dick who um this was he wasn't a line manager of mine he was a program manager of mine I was working on a program called Millstar it was a um 
uh, proposal we worked on for an antenna that was going to go on top of uh, B2, I think it was, uh, that would be the, the plane the president would be in if all hell broke loose and he had to get off the ground. And um, uh, I was working on this and I designed this antenna and I had to make a mock-up made of it. And um, uh, he, Dick suggested that I get some photos taken by the official photographers. And so they, they put it out on a uh, a piece of blue paper so that, you know, it's standing out by its, its, itself. And I don't remember who suggested it was probably the photographer said, Hey, why don't you get into one of the pictures? And they, and I had on a, um, a dress and pantyhose and high heels. And they said, well, you can't walk on the paper in your shoes. So take your shoes off. So I, I, uh, walked over and, and it was sitting on the ground. So I kind of kneeled down behind it. And it, it ended up looking funny. I mean, it looked like a, they call them snap-on tools catalogs here where they used to sell tools through a catalog where they had women holding them. For, so, yeah, for no apparent reason. Yeah, yeah I think GoDaddy ads, right? The same the same kind of thing. Yeah. So we kind of yeah. kidded around that it was like a, uh, uh, you know, like a, a snap-on tools picture. And it was, I, I even, I think I might have the photo actually. Um, I should put it in the show notes if I remember, but uh Anyway, it was it was kind of funny, but I was going to give the proposal pitch to I don't know a general or somebody in the in the armed forces, whoever I was presenting this to. I forget what level the guy was, and um, bef- right before I was to go up, Dick went up before me and he put up a view graph. This is the old flimsies, you know, on the glass with the light that shines through it to project it onto the mm. wall. And it was that picture, and he told them everyone in the room that calendars would be available at the rear, and it was funny you know no that's just undermining yeah what was my credibility as an engineer as the lead project person on this on this program to get up there and now pitch why this was going to be the right design um but that actually sounds like a malicious attempt to undermine you in case you were too good and you 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 made the dick look like a dick or something yeah no i'm sure he was kidding Remember, he said I, to me once, I, I can't really be- am an Allison. <laughs> I, 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 I can remember each of these incidents and not being offended and just thinking, oh, that was funny, Dick. I can't believe you did that. Or the time he told me he couldn't believe women had the vote. He's just kidding. I'm sure he was the, kidding. I'm positive he was kidding. I was going to say, depending on the sarcastic tone, that may have been hilarious and it may have meant the complete opposite. But that's a dangerous joke to. Yeah. To try. And I, I guess eventually I started seeing things start to happen. Like I remember uh, I was working for a guy named Hal and this uh, integrated product team lead or IPT lead job opened up and I was the obvious candidate for this job and uh, this assignment. And, and uh, when it came out, he gave it to a guy named Tom and I went to Hal. And I was like, you know, what's going on? Why did you give it to Hal and not to me? And he very condescendingly said, oh, Allison. Tom is working on getting his master's degree. I looked at him and I said, Hal, I have my master's degree. And he's like, really? I didn't know that. <laughs> it didn't have anything to do with anything. I mean, I didn't get the job and, and Tom did. Yeah, but that... Like, to, to, to say something like that to someone, like, oh, yeah, but he, to not know that you had the master's degree... It, that's just a, yeah. I sort of just felt like bias is going on in there, right? It, it's not conscious. It's just subconscious assumption that's just been made. Yeah, I mean, when you acquire a new employee, you don't necessarily pull out their employee records and look and see what degree they have necessarily. But the fact that he made that point of that as an argument and did not know what his other candidate had, it suggested that I wasn't a candidate. And that's when I started right. to get mad. That's when I started really to kind of start to get angry and look around going, this is not going the way I want it to. By the way, I see this guy at my gym every couple of weeks, and I think of that story every time I see him. I get irritated. I still think about that. And that was 35, 40 years ago. I mean, it still pisses me off when I think of it. Yeah, because um, if he had actually been vetting all the, all the candidates properly, that couldn't possibly have been a surprise. Yeah. Like, ah, 
So towards the end of me working in this organization, um, there was a section manager job opened up and section manager is, it was the first level supervisor. Actually at the time we had group heads and I was a group head, but a section manager job opened up and that was where you had maybe 10 or 15 employees. And I told them I wanted the job and they picked my friend, Eric. And this is when I started to really, you know, get a handle that things were pretty weird was Eric was brilliant. I mean, just a phenomenal engineer. His, his brain was at least twice as big as mine. And I'm not making excuses for me as not being smarter enough or clever enough. He was brilliant. But the best way to describe Eric was Eeyore. He was sad all the time. He was depressed. He was always moping about something. And I mean, he was hilarious, but he was, he was just the opposite. To lead people, you need to have energy and excitement and you need to be able to be inspirational, not just the smartest guy in the room. And they gave it to him. And I went to them. John was our manager at the time. And I, mm-hmm. I, I went to him. I was like, why, why on earth would you pick Eric over me? That, that's definitely the wrong answer. I told him all the reasons I thought it would be him. And, he, and his answer was, he's worked hard enough. He deserves it. You know what? He did that job for six months and he quit the company. Now, he had other reasons, but right. I, I was still there 20 years later. You know, it, it, these people it just, you know. But is is one of the is one of the issues that you have the boys club and they're just looking out for their own and if you're not in the club you're just you don't fall into consideration. Yeah, I wonder about that, like especially with the story with Hal and Tom Gideon's masters, that's what it smells like, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean stereotypically down the golf club with the lads or whatever. And those I, not on the in group just don't come in for consideration. It's not an act of it's not an active act of hostility. It's basically you're just not part of the in-group because you're not one of the guys. But and you just get a, forgotten. In a way, I really was. We uh, The boys all played uh, softball, and uh, and I was at all the games, and I went to all the – we would go out drinking afterwards, and um, this was male-only softball. But uh, I, I was – you know, maybe the kid's sister is how I was part of the group, but I mean, I was there. I was playing pool with them, and and uh, you were more than one. Of, well, you were more one of the guys than I ever was. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm, you know, like I said, I'm really comfortable in that environment. I was, uh, I was, I was, I was there, and so after eleven years of this, uh, I wasn't getting promotions. Uh, I wasn't getting good raises, but I always thought. It was because I wasn't good enough. I wasn't smart enough. I didn't work hard enough. I wasn't clever enough. That's really what I thought. Which is easy to do if you if you don't realize that the same is happening to other colleagues. When that's where I'm a moron, Bart. When oh, <laughs> I finally quit that part of the company and I moved two miles away, and. When so I, I went, I, I got an offer for a job in this other part of the company, and it was the section manager job, the the job I wanted that they gave to Eric. Mm-hmm. I got an offer to do that up in what was an engineering computing organization. So this was uh, a, a group of people who took care of the CAD equipment at the time, the computer aided design equipment for the engineers. And so it would be working closely with the mechanical engineering group, but I wouldn't be doing engineering. I would be helping to support the uh, managing people who supported the equipment. So it was a manager job, slightly, you know, tangentially related to mechanical engineering. And uh, they offered me the promotion. And so I went to John and I said, look, uh, you know, this is this is what I'm doing. And he said, well, I can't promote you here. You don't make enough money. And he showed me a chart. That had they had these these salary bands where if you weren't high enough in the band by a certain number of years, you could not reach the next promotion level because you didn't make enough money. What? I thought you were supposed to be promoted and then you make the money. Well, but if you didn't make enough money to be promoted, they wouldn't give you like a 30% raise. They only have to give you they should only be giving you like a 5% raise to get to the next level. But I was so far behind that he could not promote me according to the to the the charts. And I looked at him, I said, that only tells me one thing. That just tells me you didn't pay me enough money. That you're trying to answer it with the actual question. Right? Why right. weren't you giving me enough money? And uh and so I said I was quitting. And I, by the way, the same in this is part of that are the companies different is the company different even within the same company? Mm. Two miles north, 
the chart was different. It had a lower salary that you could be promoted to the next level. So I did make enough huh. money to get promoted in the other part of the company. Wow. And is, is it easy to transfer within a company or is it effectively quitting your job and being rehired from scratch? No, it's, it's reasonably easy. And all the benefits move and everything. So, yeah, you can move all across the country and it's not. I mean, you know, there might be political battles if they fight over you and that kind of thing. But uh, actually, I didn't put See, that in the notes. They did fight, try to convince me to stay. A bunch of the managers, not my, my immediate bosses, but some bosses above them tried to get me to stay. And what, what did, like, were they prepared to make any sort of, obviously not a good enough offer because you still left. So I guess... Well, they were things like, well, there's this IPT lead job. You could have it now. It's like, well, I don't want it like that. I don't want to have to threaten you with quitting to get what I deserve. That, and, and it was, it was, I was actually flattered and surprised that they called me in and tried to get me to stay. But one of the things I said, I'm an idiot. I'm a moron. Uh, the reason I say that is the organ is part of the company. I, this one, it was called the laboratories. We had all these elaborate titles because the place was so big. Uh, the hmm. laboratories was 250 engineers. When I left, I was the last woman to leave. 250 employees. Yep. No way. And when you left, there was not a, not a single engineering woman. Like I know 50, 50 is not re the, the, like 50, 50 is almost impossible back then particularly, but, Two two hundred and fifty zero, yeah, yeah, and that smells off. I remember after I left, my my friend Diane just going, "You are such an idiot. You should have noticed that a long time ago." I was like, "Yeah." Looking back, and when I pointed this out to John as I was leaving, I was saying, "Look, there's a problem here." He I, he said, "Oh, it's really hard because there's not a lot of women in engineering." And I said, "Look, I happen to know that my graduating class at UC Irvine was twenty percent women." I said, let's say only one out of four of those were mechanical. What's 5% mm -hmm. of 250? Is it a number bigger than zero? Significantly so, <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm not good at that. They're arithmetic, as I've mentioned a few hundred times. But if it's, if it's bigger than zero, then you're doing it wrong. It was... <laughs> yeah. Like 15 or 20 people by that logic. Yeah. You know, you, you said something a couple of times that really rings true. You said, you know, you think you're just not good enough until you realize it's happening to other people. Um, after I left, uh, there was a change in leadership at the at the head of this optoelectronics group. So, again, this is, say, maybe a thousand people in optoelectronics. And uh, they had a change in leadership. And I got a call from a group of women who had all quit but wanted to go tell the new leaders what was going on. Interesting. Yeah, and I thought, all right, I'll go. I'll go do it. And you, I, I told you before we recorded that I was trepidatious about this conversation because my stories aren't horrible. These women had horrible stories. I mean, just, just unbelievable things that that would do. You know, just, a woman working in a in a um, she was a technician working in a lab where she had a little test station, and she came into work one day and her, and tape or taped all over her workstation were condoms. You know, things like that. Um, Just like, how on earth could you consider that a, a acceptable behavior? And so, ah, I was wow. pretty quiet in that meeting because I was like, well, I don't know. Just nobody ever promoted me, and they made really crude jokes to me. It's, I, I don't know. I just find that it, if if an organization doesn't naturally have a balance, there's 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 something wrong because there must be a reason for that lack of balance. And if it isn't something really obvious, like it is illegal for us to hire women, which thankfully is long gone, <laughs> it must be something else. It's got to be the culture. It's got to be the way hiring decisions are made. Like it's got to be something. And I think people, you know, if people don't ask themselves, well, wh why is this so artificially out of whack? I don't, know. Yeah, I don't have any answers. They had excuses yeah. for that. But this gets back to me being so depressed when uh, the woman at Uber told that story was I was like, no, 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 no. That was the 1980s. We we're all done. We don't do that. That doesn't happen anymore, right? And, <laughs> yeah, only it apparently does. Well, the, the strange thing is my career isn't, I mean, I'm young, relatively speaking. I'm late 30s now. 
And earlier in my career, there was a better balance of the genders in IT within the university sector in Ireland. Hmm. And that that really worries me because surely to goodness it should be going the other way. So when I joined the, the, the my section of IT, my boss was um, a female professor of, or a doctor of chemistry, in fact, who ended up in IT because computers are really good at doing chemistry calculations. And apparently computers are more fun than chemicals that blow up. Um, well, I can't say I disagree with her. Hmm. Um, and in our section, it was... It wasn't exactly 50-50 because there were five of us, but it was uh, three female, two male. Hmm. And now, recently, just a few weeks ago, myself and a female colleague went to a national level meeting. It was about 30 of us in the conference room. And it was after we left that my colleague went, I was the only woman in that room. Hmm. That would not have ha- I don't think that would have happened 10 years ago. So how are we going backwards is what I'm now asking myself. Now, thankfully, a few days later, I found myself in a meeting where I was the only man. And I was like, well, thank goodness that sometimes through the laws of chance happens the other way, too. (laughs) But that was a much smaller meeting. So we talked a little bit about earlier about cultures. Um, When I took that other job, uh, which was kind of an IT job, but inside engineering, it was actually before the phrase information technology had even been coined, probably. It was a totally different environment. I was promoted really quickly. Um, I never made as much as my male peers. I had a boss who accidentally get, sent out an, uh, a package with everybody with each other's email or salaries in it. So mm. I know it for a fact. Yeah, that was lovely. Um, so I know I never made as much money as they did. Um, and my excuse to myself was while I got behind, whatever. Um, but I was promoted quickly. There were female managers. Um, I I don't have a single story of anybody saying anything really inappropriate to me. Um, there there were some funny cases. Uh, you know the software MATLAB. I I yeah. I was exposed. <laughs> so I I had to pay for MATLAB in in part of my job, and uh, I was negotiating. Yeah, it was yeah, it was horrible, and I got in big fights with these people, and they were liars. And I I actually recorded one of them lying once. Um, they, they left a voicemail. <laughs> they, that was dumb. Yeah, uh, but but anyway, the the uh, this VP from uh, MATLAB was uh, saying a bunch of garbage, and I wasn't buying it. And I started arguing with him, and he didn't know I was the boss in the room, and he kept talking to this guy Mike, who worked for me, who was sitting next to me, and I'll never forget as he gets like ruder and ruder and ruder to me and dismisses of me. My friend Mike and my friend Nancy, Mike and Nancy both work for me, but we're all good friends. They started to slide their chairs away from me because they were afraid of what I was going to do. <laughs> the explosion. Uh, so the know. assumption was just that you were there to take notes or something. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, probably the most enjoyable thing that happened in the last couple of years, I was... Um, and I think I may have told this story on the show before, but it, it's sequential here, was uh, there was a, a huge meeting where Microsoft was presenting to all the people in IT. So there's maybe two or 300 people in the room. Uh, by the way, I've now moved into a classic IT position here. This is when I became an IT fellow. And uh, and I'm, uh, I'm in this room and uh, I'm, I'm up near the front and this Microsoft guy starts spouting acronyms. And I just hate it when people do that. So doing the thing that Allison does to Bart, I stop and say, what does that stand for? Even in some cases where I knew what it was, I stopped him and I would make him explain it. And I did this two or three times. And finally, he stops and he looks around the room and he says, oh, I'm sorry. I forgot to ask. Is there could the people who are technical in this room raise their hands? And every single person in that room knew that I was the highest technical level that you can be in that 60,000 person company as a person in IT. And so I raised my hand good and high and looked at him. And, and afterwards, I had to go talk to him. And I said, I said, you know, I'm not going to hurt you, but you should take <laughs> not this physically. as a learning moment here of what you just did. That was incredibly rude, incredibly dismissive. And it just, you know. It's How did he respond? A whole lot of sputtering. I, I, I'm really sorry. <laughs> but, 
But uh, the other people in the room thought it was pretty funny because they knew I was going to eat him alive. Jesus. So That's terrible. Yeah. So I don't know. You know, when if we're now not in the in the 1980s, like I said, I was an IT fellow, and when I retired, there were about a dozen IT fellows, and when I retired, I was the la- the only woman there, the only woman IT fellow. So when I left, there were none. And that it's was sort of four years experience. ago. That that lines up very well with my experience. That a decade ago, I was seeing an awful lot of a of a better gender balance in IT than I'm seeing now, and that actually really scares me, because I really thought that we had turned things around and that we were heading in the right direction. And now I'm I'm looking around in my own industry, going, what, how? How is it that we we still have so few, even like the low level people we're bringing in who are starting with us are all male? Oh, are they? But they're they're fresh, like they're fresh, you know. They're at the start of their careers. Why isn't there? Why isn't at least the input the input into the system? Why isn't at least the input into the system more balanced? And why, when I walk around the corridors in the computer science department, aren't the students more balanced? You know, why, when I walk around the maths department, is the balance not better? Really? So it's you can see it as you walk around. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. It's it's not. I I don't understand why it is that we still have these biases. And I, I've had this argument with, with colleagues many times where we've been trying to figure it out. And my theory is that from a very, very, very young age, we we use sort of soft peer pressure to just convince, you know, boys and girls to just not even, to never make a decision, right? You just railroad the schools in such a way that the boys aren't choosing not to do home economics it just it's not it's a choice they're never even presented with Mm. they're just defaulted into woodwork metalwork technical drawing and a few of them who actually have the you know who actually realize that there is a decision to be made will go the other way and no one will stop them there will be no attempt made to say oh no 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 no, boys shouldn't do that so it's entirely soft it's entirely passive right there's there's, there's absolutely no concept of school saying oh you may not do that because that that will be seen as being overtly sexist and it just wouldn't happen but at a much softer level there is never a decision made it's just anyone who doesn't stand up for themselves and just goes with the flow finds themselves in the stereotypical gender roles. Well, you you brought up two pieces that I can put together. Again, I may have told this story before, but when I was a, a little girl in sixth grade, um, they told me I had to take home economics, and the boys got to take woodshop. Which one do you well, think you I wanted, wanted to wood take? Shop. Yeah, yeah. And so, I, I, when I look back, I can't believe the stuff I had the nerve to do. At eleven years old, I went to the principal and said, "I want to take woodshop." And it was either the principal or it might have been to the the to the woodshop teacher. I'm not sure who it was I went to, but I personally went. I my mommy didn't go do this for me. I did it. Mm-hmm. I went in and said I wanted to take woodshop, and they they told me that if I could convince a boy to take home ec, then I could take woodshop. And I convinced a boy to take home ec, and I took woodshop. Yay! But but like you said, you know, it was never an option that was out there, and. Oh, <laughs> You know, today, thankfully, they would. It wouldn't. They, the resistance you get wouldn't be like that. Certainly not in Ireland. You wouldn't get the resistance of well, no. You wouldn't. Oh, really? Okay. So yeah. it's not that you'd have to fight, but you would still. It would still have to be your initiative to step outside of the herd and to realize that you actually that there was a decision being made for you, which you had no part in. And it's, it's just this automatic assumption. Like, you know, well, girls don't want to do maths. I mean, what, why, why would girls want to do physics? No, no, no. They want to do biology. That's a girl science. And it drives me absolutely batty. You know, I, like, I, I think, though, about what you're saying, that, that you, could, you could ask for it, you could do something different. And all of my examples, you know, again, nothing horrible happened. It was a lot of joking and that kind of thing. But it, but it wore me down and it changed my view of my own capabilities. I am not 
a cute little adorable girl who uh, got hit on all the time. I'm not, you know, there are women who walk into to this life with what appears to be advantages uh, in those areas and yet would be not able to, you know, if they didn't have my strength of personality that at 11 years old, I would march in and demand to take woodshop. Think of what that does to them when it, when there's right. no reason for it. And I, I Bart and I have, have uh, preloaded this clip I want to play it's it's really short. It's uh, 14 seconds long. It's from the Big Bang Theory, and it's after Bernadette discovers that the word has gotten out that she's pregnant. And she's talking to Amy Farrah Fowler, and she's talking to her about people's perception of her. And I, I just want to play this because it, it plays into what we're talking about right now. Let's see if this works. You really think they're going to start treating you differently? Are you kidding? I've always been treated differently. Look at me. Listen to me. I mean, the first thought when you see me isn't, that's a scientist. It's, I wonder if her mommy knows where she is. You really just so, start. Th- think about that now. When you, when you look at a cute little blonde girl, and I'll use the word girl, do you think scientist? You know, I, I, I used to play a game with myself. I would look out the window and walk, pe- watch people walking across the quad and try to guess what they were, what their job was. And if, if I saw, you know, an old fat white guy, a tall old fat white guy, that was a manager. And if I saw a cute young woman, she would be a secretary. And I'm, I, I, was, I was actively doing it to try to change my brain. But I'm yeah. a woman and I saw it that way. And so I don't, you know, the way we look and talk shouldn't be changing whether or not we're respected engineers and scientists and computer scientists and whatever we want to be. And yet, to this day, I think it still is. It is. And I mean, how early does how early does this kind of conditioning begin? Like when you walk into a toy shop, that the fact that half the room is plastered in pink and half the room is plastered in blue, it's like, what chance do kids have if you've been brainwashed from an early age that you... These toys are for you, and these toys are for you, and never the twain shall meet. Well, I, I got to tell you, I, I just saw a, uh, a Toys R Us catalog that flipped open to a page of Nerf guns, and it showed five kids with these guns, like, I mean, in the current environment with guns in the United States, it was a little appalling to look at, but I love me a Nerf gun too. And I checked, and they have these in other countries where uh, similar ads where they're not, uh, where they don't have guns. But there was an Asian boy and a white girl and a white boy. And I mean, they had done the diversity thing. And all through it, there was a a scientist play kit in it. And it was a girl and there was a guy in a wheelchair. And they were, I mean, they had diversity down pat in it. You could not look at this catalog and think that's a boy's toy and that's a girl's toy. So that was good. Yeah, but you're right. There still is the boy and girl thing. Uh, So one of my people I follow on Twitter had a picture where, or maybe it was even my daughter, I can't remember who this was, did it, but they, it showed uh, like NASA shirts w- that were in the boys' section and not in the girls' section. <gasps> yeah. <laughs> and they were moving them, of course. Um, oh, that doesn't make any sense at all. It shouldn't be a boys' and a girls' section in a toy shop. Kids yeah, are kids. Yeah. You know, play with what they want. You bring up what age does this happen? There was a... a thing done recently i was i want to say it was 60 minutes i don't remember which show it was because i'm terrible at this but it was they took a bunch of kids and they were i don't know maybe seven eight years old kind of pretty young and they told them a story about some people in an office and and they after they told the story they showed them some pictures and there were men and women in these pictures and they asked them they didn't tell them who was who from Mm -hmm. the story they asked them who in the pictures was smart and all huh. of them picked the boys. And right. they they brought the parents in and they had specifically chosen parents where the woman was a high powered executive or an engineer or whatever. They were they were all working women and they're like, Where did they get this? Well, how did that happen? You know? Is I don't it, know. Is it so deep in our society the the home the home isn't even enough to undo I, I, yeah. I mean it, it it fascinates me in all the in all the wrong kind of ways. It's like, 
how does this keep how does this these myths keep reinforcing themselves and being so pervasive in our society that you see like I'm at an age where a lot of my my old school friends are now parents of fairly young kids mm-hmm. and you see them struggling to to sort of go against the the tide of society and 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 to to say to the you know to their daughters that it, you know hey if you if you think Star Wars is more fun than Barbie have at it and to their young boys if you want to play with Barbie rather than you know a hammer have at it but the kids begin to self censor as soon as they go to school so until they go to school they're just playing whatever they want to play with and they go to school and they come home and they say no daddy I can't no daddy I don't want to play with this anymore yeah. This is for girls. And you find them going, but I, did, I didn't bring you up like that. Is it the telly? Is it school? You know, because if it's not coming from the home, and I, I've seen it with my own eyes, so I know, I know it's, it, it, the, the, the parents are trying to raise the kids in such a way that they will just, they'll Choose find they themselves want. as how, yeah, so a, a friend of mine described it as saying, you know, it's really important to me that my daughter finds her, tr- her true self and she just, that she does what she really wants to do and what she's good at. And, it, you know, it just so happens that she's absolutely in love with Star Wars and she wants to be Princess Leia. And I'm delighted. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they go to school and suddenly it, it, it's I want to wear pink and I want to be, you know, a girly girl. And it's like, that's not her. Where where did it come from? Yeah. You know, they do say, though, that um, the percentage of girls going into uh, science classes is as high as it ever was. It just rolls off. And that's what's even sadder. It's they, like, yes, and they, I forget what start. age it is, but yeah, they start and something makes them leave. That's even more depressing. Because <laughs> yeah. I always sort of assumed that once they got them in the door and they started to have fun, but that means that they're not having fun or something is telling them that even though it is fun, it's not okay or it's just too much effort because it makes you too different it's hard to be different it's hard to stand out oh yeah yeah everybody wants it talks like they want to be different but they just want to conform right it's oh, at that God, age well, it's, i i would have given anything as a teenager not to be different <laughs> anything I can imagine but you know anyway that's that's neither here nor there but not um, now <laughs> no not now and thank goodness i didn't Thank goodness I was. I didn't manage to conform despite my best efforts. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it, it really, I don't want to end on a depressing note, yeah. but at the same time, like, w- w- what do we do? Because I I would like to think that if I saw overt, active oppression going on, that I would be the kind of person who would stop it. But it's, it's these paper cuts. Yeah. And every individual paper cut can an excuse can be made for every little paper cut right i mean you you sort of made that point indirectly the whole way through this conversation each individual paper cut as a single event is entirely defensible you could not go to hr and say we have a problem because this happened they'd look at you like that's a minor thing what are you talking about and yet somehow when you put all of those paper cuts from all over society together and you look at the outcome at the end result it's it's out of whack it's not where we want to be it's it's not where we should be. It's not where we want to be. So how do you tackle paper cuts? Is the first step just to know that they're happening? Is this Harvey Weinstein-induced openness the first step to moving forward? I hope so. Yeah. It. All I can hope is that by the stories being told... Like I said, maybe somebody is is about to say something and they go, eh, I probably don't need to say that. You know, is, is if that's all we accomplish by enough of these stories being told of the paper cuts. I mean, the big stuff, I you know, whew, yeah. Um, yeah, the big stuff is indefensible. And that, that sort of kind of takes care of itself in some regards. Well, I hope so. I hope so. It's certainly hitting the fan now. But uh, I don't know. I just felt like I wanted to add my voice and um, I, I, I told Bart, Bart before doing this that I was anxious enough at doing this that I had to do it with someone that I that I trusted and loved and and I feel like I'm just talking to you mostly <laughs> it yeah, just occurred to me recording yeah whatever <laughs> yeah yeah so I, I, I'm absolutely flattered that you that you trusted me enough to 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 do this conversation with you because it's 
it's not an easy topic. I mean, I think I said to you, the only thing I can sort of think of it as being equivalent to to that coming out conversation, which not as hard as it, that. It's a similar. It's got to have similarities to it. It's a similar sort of vulnerability, I would say. When I thought about who I could tell the story to, I could picture other people. Um, they might judge me by, or might say, "Oh, come on, Allison." You know, that kind of reaction to it. That's what I would be afraid of hearing. Whether anybody I know would ever say that, I, I don't I don't think so. But but if they did, that would just stop me, you know, because that's what I heard and felt all these years. Yeah. And again, it's 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 just those those excuses for all the little things that are so easy to make and you, you add them together. And you end up with a, with a department where there are zero out of 250 women. <laughs> Yeah. So I don't think we have a catchy line to end on, Bart. We don't have any happy computing or stay patched and stay secure. Stay secure. Just uh, until next time, don't be a jerk. <laughs> I was, I was, no, I was, I was going to see if we can come up with something a little bit more positive than that. <laughs> be, be supportive of everyone who wants to be a techie. Regardless of anything else, if someone wants to be a techie, be supportive of them, no matter what they look like, no matter who they love, be supportive of them. And then that way we'll, we'll go forward. How's that? Maybe in our, in our little, little tech piece of the world, we can, uh, we can accomplish that. All right. Hey, if everyone does their own, if everyone looks after their own backyard, we'll live in a clean city. There you go. All right, Bart, thanks for helping me do this. I, it, it was, yeah, my, my, my pleasure to have been asked. And uh, it was, it was a, an interesting conversation. Um, do since I'm hosting technically, I guess I should say to the listeners that uh, this is not a advertisement supported podcast. So you should go over to podfeet.com and support Allison through the lots of mechanisms that are there, like the um, Amazon link and the Patreon button. And what am I missing, Allison? Oh, that's good enough. That'll that'll do it. <laughs> that'll do. OK, well, until next time. Talk to you soon. <laughs> Stay subscribed. There we go. Stay subscribed.